the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Looks like you got some great clouds there behind you, my brother. Oh, man, I do. I do. But I, I'm not next to the ocean like you are. Do you have clouds or are you good? I can't tell. Well, it's weird down here in Florida. Maybe it's the same for David over in the Carolinas. We, uh, it, the days start with clouds and then the sun comes out and burns them all off and then they come back a little bit around sunset. So it's, it's a hard knock life for sure. It's very Perfect cool. convertible weather. Absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce David. David has actually been on before. He was on with his brother. We, as, as he just put it, he's one of the OGMLs for sure. But let me do a little brief intro. David Haskins is the founder and CEO of Haskins & Company. He got his start in law firm marketing in 2009, helping his longtime friend, David Alor launch his new practice. They grew that practice to four locations in three years. Since then, he has worked with over 100 law firms, creating and implementing smart, aggressive growth strategies, conferences and CLEs, and podcasts. Frequently ask him to share his wealth of knowledge and experience about law firm marketing, SEO, intake, and firm management. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's our pleasure having you back. But before we jump in, like what part, where do you live in the Carolinas? Because I am, I'm going to be in South Carolina. I'll be in Myrtle Beach in a couple of weeks. So I'm just curious. Where oh, you yeah. Are. Love Myrtle Beach. That's the opposite side. I'm up in the upstate. Damn. Northwest okay. part of, uh, of South Carolina in Greenville. It's about halfway between Atlanta and Charlotte. Damn. Well, I was hoping I could maybe just stop in and say hello, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, you, have you been to Myrtle Beach before? No, first time. First visit. It, it is awesome. It is, it is, my wife likes the, uh, some of the other beaches, Hilton Head and Charleston. They're more like the relaxed, you know, beaches. Myrtle Beach is like, it's like Vegas for kids on the beach. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Perfect. It is exciting. (laughs) David, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the group? I mean, a lot of people in the group know you and know your brother and your business and everything, but why don't you talk to us a little bit about, just give us a refresher, maybe since the last time we spoke or the last time we saw you at the conference, what's going on with you and your company? Sure. We've grown actually. I mean, you know, I'll talk like, you know, how everybody refers to things now, BC before COVID and after COVID. We've grown a a lot uh, in the last year. We've added uh, eight new team members. 
Um, so we're at 13 now. We have about three dozen clients all over the country. And we're doing web design, web marketing, SEO, and we're starting to help manage intake. Um, something that I see a lot of people doing and a lot of people having trouble with. And there's a lot of aspects of intake that we that we see people don't realize that they're not uh, implementing correctly or they're not auditing or managing efficiently. So we're, we're starting to help people with that as well. All right. And I know we're, we're not going to really talk about SEO today. We're going to be talking about something else. But before we get to the other thing, I just, I want to talk about SEO a little bit more because I know part of it's got to be frustrating as an SEO company whenever people aren't doing the intake properly because they blame a lot of the things that they're doing wrong on you all, which is kind of interesting, I'm sure. But my, that's not even my question. My question is, has, has SEO changed over the last 10 years or is it mostly the same, just small little things change? Because it seems like the principles are primarily the same, produce content, you know, make sure you've got like meta tags and all that kind of stuff. But I, don't, I, don't even, I can't even speak to it because I'm not knowledgeable, that knowledgeable about it. But it seems like the basic principles are the same, but yeah. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, basically, basic principles are the same, right? like informative content that answers the question, answers the query of the user and authoritative signals like backlinks that, that Google can use to measure things like trust and authority in a site. The, some of the major changes are how they're rolling out algorithm updates. I mean, if you remember like the last decade, maybe like a decade ago, 2012, 14, 16, an, up, an algorithm update would come out and it would be like, almost like an inauguration. Like it was a big event, you know, Panda is out and everybody learns from it. You get your, get the guidance. Google would tell you, here's what we're looking for. Here's what we corrected. And, and now, and now people just sit there and watch the um, tools like uh, the uh, uh, SEO grump or the, uh, the, the, you know, the fluctuation, the SERP fluctuation tools to see if there's an update and then people will scatter and, and discuss, did that, did that meet the threshold? Do you think that was a, a, a major update? So that's what's happening. And then also, I think they're getting farther away from a human written algorithm and they are using or they are driving towards the use of primarily what would be referred to as a black box AI and a black box AI. Actually, this little description, this little drawing right here, I was using it as an example. That is an item and a black box AI says, I need to find the thing that matches this the best. And it, you, you don't have specification as, a, as, a, as an SEO or as a, a website owner of what part of this creation makes it a perfect match. You don't know if it's the shade or the speed at which it was written, the, the tools that it was drawn with. You just know that that's the perfect example. The black box takes the perfect example and it analyzes everything else against that. And then it ranks them in order. And so it's getting, and it has been over the years to the point where even the Google, um, the liaisons and, and those sorts of people, they don't actually um, you know, know how the algorithm is, is working and how it will work in the future. So that's that. That's some of the the, the biggest changes, I think. I, I like to I like to to say that 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 black box AI is sort of like if somebody told you what kind of cookie they 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 told you that they liked this cookie and they wanted you to make another one just like it. You have no idea 
what the recipe was and you just try to make it and see if they like it. And you make it and you see if they like it. And you try different things and you see if they like it. Sort of like how black box AI works. All right. Well, let's talk about your new segue in, or your, your current segue into in, intake and the mistakes that you see people making. You know, I've revamped our intake process over the last six months and it's been a real game changer for us. And it all started because uh, Harlan Schillinger had a little debate with me on John Fisher's Facebook page about whether I really knew how my leads were converting. And I think that's the, the first thing is I think most lawyers think that they're doing a great job of converting their leads, but, but they aren't really. So can you talk a little bit about that and then the other kinds of mistakes that you've been seeing, David? Sure. Yeah, I have that, I have that conversation with everybody. And it's, it's really, it's started to become something that we not like filter for, but it's something that we want to get addressed um, up front that if a firm is going to work with us, that we want to make sure that, you know, whatever we do to be successful, that they're set up to take advantage of that. So for instance, I've talked with firms that are primarily referral based, and this is going to be their first, SEO is going to be their first entrance into online marketing or really an aggressive paid marketing strategy. And I, I had to coach them on the difference between what they're used to and what they're about to get. You're used to, you know, eight out of every nine calls being a case because your referral sources know what to refer you. And you're used to those people just coming pre-sold, you know. You know, if I called my uh, business lawyer and said, man, I just got a DUI, who would you recommend? Whoever he says, that's my lawyer, you know. Like, <laughs> if that guy will take me, he's my lawyer. <laughs> if I'm online searching and... I'm trying to evaluate my options. I'm looking at, you know, people's credibility and the results, what other people are saying about them and, you know, how informative and, and how, um, you know, um, authoritative or, or uh, smart they look. I might give them a shot if I don't hear back quickly enough, if I kind of treated like I'm being blown off or like I'm dealing with a gatekeeper, then that factors into my decision and I might consider one of my other options. And so the other thing is that, you will get you know a lot more calls and opportunities in relation to the number of cases that you're going to get compared to you know a referral based firm and so we've seen intake problems i have seen intake problems everywhere from a solo practice attorney who's answering everything on his cell phone who has one part-time file clerk up to a 50 lawyer office with 150 support staff who's got an operation so grand that they can't track all of the pieces and they can't audit for quality. And, you know, that firm, half of their calls for an entire week, there was some technical problem and they just diverted off to have one voicemail of one paralegal's desk. And they had no idea until we got in there and, and, and audited it. So I've, I've seen issues at every step of the way from one uh, up, you know, up to 200. Just last week, we did an audit for a firm and they had a great intake, a great initial call. The person that was doing it was a paralegal and it was, it was a very good uh, empathetic call. They also had automated text and email follow-up and one of their other competitors. So we did a four competitor intake analysis where we called with leads to their office. And then we, we timed them and the other competitors and we sort of, you know, rank them and track how, how quickly their responses and stuff. And one of their competitors also had the email and, and text um, option, but there's texted and emailed immediately. 
and the person, the client that we were auditing, for whatever reason, there was some problem in their software. It didn't start the text and email follow-up until the next day. And so, you know, that you're 18 hours later in the, in the system, it looks like it's working, but you know, if you don't test things, audit and, you know, sort of comb through the data and, and, and find the uh, opportunities that are missed. And there's a lot out there. Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course. All right, David. So let's shift gears here a little bit. And uh, you're going to talk about sobriety here. And you've been sober for about 10 years. And I can I can say just from looking at you, you've changed drastically over the last since I, I guess we've known you for about four years, maybe five years. And you've I mean, you've lost a lot of weight. You, you look much healthier. So we've known you for about half of this time. But I want you to talk about just your journey from going before being sober to, to now. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's something that I, I look back and uh, the decision to quit drinking is, I, I want to say it's the number one decision that I've ever, the best decision that I've ever made in my life. But I would probably save that for marrying my wife. <laughs> but this was a prerequisite for sure to marry my wife. So I quit drinking in 2010, uh, July 4th, 2010. I had uh, a little background growing up. I, I, I grew up in like a, a fundamentalist Baptist environment, uh, church school, home. My, my parents never drank. They were teetotalers. So I kind of grew up that just wasn't something that we did. Uh, when I got into college, I started hanging out with some friends. Drinking was just like a it was just a, a fun thing to do. I mean, like it is for, for many uh, college students that, uh, f- you know, fun binge drinking college attitude stayed with me <laughs> for uh, about another decade. Um, at, you know, after I left and it was really, it was really stifling my professional and, and, and career growth and my, you know, my life, my life goals. And I didn't realize it until, uh, until almost a decade later. So I had um, the type of alcoholism that I've, I've noticed there's a few types. One is the person who would hide a bottle in their desk drawer and nip on it when people aren't looking. Uh, the other is like, you know, like a, like a functioning alcoholic. I could go three, four days. Like I wouldn't drink during the week. Thursday night would hit. And if I had one drink, I'd have 11. And then, you know, like I'd ruin the next day, you know, I'd have, you know, binge drinking weekends, you know, where I just accomplish absolutely nothing except just getting thrashed and having, and having fun. And it seemed like at the time, like, well, it's just like what I do for fun. Like just, if you like climbing mountains or riding bikes, I just like partying. And so uh, in my twenties, I got arrested a couple of times. One time actually here in Greenville, my late father was a he was a speaker pro tem of the house of South Carolina. 
there's a median that's named in his honor on uh, Wade Hampton Boulevard. And uh, I was passed out in my friend's car uh, and he pulled over in the median in, in the median is named for my dad and he passed out in his car too. And so we got arrested that night. I got arrested like 10 feet in front of the sign with my dad's name on it. And the officer that arrested me, he knew my dad too. And it was like, and so did, so did the, the bond judge. It was just uh, a, a brutal awakening, you know, very humiliating experience. Fortunately, nobody got hurt. That was about 2006. I got arrested, did some community service. And then when I had episodes like that, where I thought that I was, you know, was, was going over the line or it was too far, I would, you know, sort of reel myself in and go, whoop, 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 we, you know, we're, we're at a point here. Let's take a 30 day break. You know, let's take a, I'd take a 30 day break here and there. I was doing that in the summer of 2010, which I was, I was also waitlisted to go to um, Charleston School of Law that fall, fall of 2010. So I was I waitlisted, you know, on my best behavior. <laughs> and uh, I was on a 30-day break. And of course, I made an exception because like this band that I loved was in town. So I thought, <laughs> I'll just add one day at the end. <laughs> I just, you know, it's just another, uh, you know, sort of blackout night. Uh, got separated from my friends. And then I actually don't remember how the night ended. I woke up in the hospital on a gurney with an IV in my arm in the, in the uh, hallway and I was still like pretty, you know, pretty messed up. And I just went into the bathroom, pulled the IV out myself and left the hospital. It was two weeks later, I was doing some laundry and I found, we, we thought it was weird because the, the, the hospital told me that the police dropped me off. And at the time I was working for a lawyer and he said, the police don't drop you off at the hospital. <laughs> they don't give you a ride to the hospital. <laughs> and uh, two weeks later, I'm doing laundry and I found the I had two tickets in my shorts that I was wearing that night. And so uh, I had no, no recollection what happened. I, I went to court and um, I knew that I could just get an extension, but I just kind of wanted to figure out what happened. And the officer testified that keep in mind, I'm working at a criminal defense firm and I hear people's arrest stories and, you know, the usual, like I told that officer, I'm going to have his badge and, you know, wait till my lawyer hears this and I hear all the dumb stuff that people would say. And the officer said that I called him an effing pig and I spit on his car and I heard him say that. And I was like, holy shit. I don't know who that was. <laughs> like, that's not just like blackout and you, and you do some funny stuff and, and people have fun stories to tell later. Like if I would do that, knowing what I know, like I hear these stories, you know, week after week, if I would do that in that situation, like I could do anything. I had no control over myself. And um, I was like crying in the back of the, court um, lobby. And I told the officer, man, I don't know how, but I'm going to prove to you that like, this isn't me. And, and I, I can't believe I did that. And so um, I decided to quit there and then, and uh, I think because of the, because of the 30 day pauses that I had done before, it was easy to sort of like just shut it off and I have a, a very addictive personality that if I was to give in, you know, like, just like my drinking was, if I was to give into something, I could go all the way with it. I was really blessed in that when I decided to quit, it wasn't like a temptation thing. It wasn't like, um, you know, I, I struggle with, with food and with eating and with food addiction. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. I have been around alcohol the last decade 
I make drinks for my wife at the house. She says I make great margaritas. I have no idea. <laughs> I just take her word for it. So I was I was uh, blessed in that when I sort of mentally shut off from from drinking alcohol, that um, I didn't have like temptations, or cravings, or anything like that. And it was at the point that I was it was 2010. I was 28. So my friends were not in the college like you know peer pressure phase. It was in the like we're all grown-ups, we're, we're about to be 30 phase. So that was uh, July 4th, 2010 it was the last time that I drank. And since then, and I, you know, I've, I've talked with other friends that have either taken a hiatus or that have gone sober. When you find all sorts of new things to consume your time and your energy and your focus and your passion. And so well, one of those things for me was learning. I forgot how much I loved to learn. I learned a lot in, you know, in, in you know, really on the job. Um, I taught myself how to code, taught myself how to edit video. I taught myself SEO, all these, all these things. And also just learning. I've done a, at least a book a month since then in the last decade, either physical book or audio book. I've learned so much. And from the other people that I've talked to, even um, if it's just a 90-day pause or something like that, you find things that you're really passionate about that will fill your time that you used to just default to fill it, you know, with alcohol. But I look back and, um, you know, I tell, I tell my wife, like, I'm so glad that you met me in 2011 <laughs> and not in like 2006 or something because I'm, I, I feel like a totally different person. And so I know, I know that's something that, um, that a lot of, uh, attorneys, maybe attorneys in the group or, um, just people in the, in, in the profession, um, struggle with, I know there's a lot of, uh, resources available and it's not the same journey for everybody. I mean, some people, um, reach the point where like an officer is telling you that you did like short of physically attacking him, like one of the stupidest things you could do in an arrest that you absolutely know any sober day of the week not to do. And, uh, some people, for some people it's, you know, a, a DUI conviction or injury or death that, that does change their, their perception. And so, um, I've, I've also known from other friends that I've talked to that even people who have just decided, uh, to try, just decided to try sobriety, that it wasn't like, a hindrance in their life and it was causing their life to go off the rails that have just decided to try it. They, they find, like I said, they find that new passion and new things to fill their, you know, to fill their time up with. So. I like that advice, David. And, and thank you for sharing your story. I just want to ask you real quick, cause we're getting towards the end and I'm really glad you told that story. You go to a lot of legal conferences. You obviously work with a lot of lawyers. What do you think, is the state of lawyerdom as it relates to alcohol? Like what, are, what have you observed as a sober person for 10 years when you go to these conferences and, and what, what are your thoughts on it? And I know you don't want to pass judgment on anybody else and I get that, but just generally, what, what, do you, what do you observe? Well, I mean, you guys deal with the worst parts of people's lives and you have to do it in a way that's objective where you can't, you know, sink your feelings in and do what, what you feel you have to look at things objectively and have very difficult decisions and difficult conversations with people. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if you're, if you're a divorce attorney, imagine getting divorced every week. I mean, it's kind of like the, the emotional, you know, uh, journey that you guys um, are on. And so 
I don't, um, it's not surprising at all that, that the, uh, that the profession or that the industry has, uh, uh, you know, higher rates of uh, addiction or alcoholism. I will say I've seen so many people, even people that I haven't met on Facebook or hadn't read my um, stories before. There's a lot of sober people like that I meet in the conference circuit. And you'll just kind of, you'll just kind of notice somebody's always drinking Diet Coke or, or something like that. Uh, or you'll notice, uh, you, you'll get to, to, uh, to talking. We went at the dinner one time and, um, <laughs> Everybody at the table ordered wine and I ordered a Diet Coke. And the guy next to me goes, oh, rough night last night. I said, oh, rough about a decade. <laughs> but there's a lot of other, um, there's a lot of other lawyers out there. You wouldn't know it if, if you didn't know them. There are, there are so many people in the industry that I have, that I have met that have reached out to me or that I've met in, you know, in person at conferences and stuff that are, so there's a lot of uh, support out there for you. All right, David, let's, we're going to end it there. I'm going to wrap things up uh, before I do. I want to remind everyone to join us in the Facebook group. There are great people like David in the Facebook group. So join us there. If you're interested in the guild, go to maxlawguild.com where we have a lot of high level conversations and you can also get access to maximum lawyer and minimum time for free whenever you get a guild membership. And if you don't mind just taking a couple seconds as you listen to the rest of this episode, giving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? All right. Well, before I get to our hack of the week, I did want to mention MaxLawCon 2021. It'll be October 12th and 13th with a bonus day for the Guild members on October 11th. Um, that will be at the Ameristar Casino in St. Louis. Tickets are on sale. And through the beneficence of one of our members who is also who is also a recovering alcoholic, we will have an AA meeting at the conference on, uh, I think, Wednesday morning. So that'll be good. We want to support people's sobriety and, and people doing their best. So, so I'm really glad that we're going to do that. And I'm really excited about the conference. For my hack of the week, I was listening to a great interview with Guy Kawasaki, former Macintosh evangel- evangelist. He was on with our friends Joe Fear and Matt Wolf on the uh, on their podcast. And he was talking about the Guy Kawasaki quadrants. And if you think about a quadrant with the vertical being unique and the horizontal being value, that your firm is going to fall in one of those four quadrants. So if you, if you chart it that way with unique going up and down and value creation going left and right, you really want to be you know, up and to the right, you want to be in that quadrant where you're both unique and creating value because otherwise you're just either a clown or you're competing with everybody else on price. So you really have to figure out and spend some time thinking about how do I make my firm and my value proposition unique and also creating as much value as possible. I really liked it. It's something simple for me to be able to envision and, and focus on. I love it, Jimmy. That's, that's a good one. Pretty good. All right, David, you know the routine, man. Uh, what's your tip or hack of the week? I think uh, Amazon Prime now. I don't think enough people use it or, 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 or know about it, or maybe it has been, become more popular over the, um, over the pandemic. But we don't have it in Greenville. But whenever I travel, I'm always aware of, uh, of Prime now. We, had, we were at a conference in, in Vegas, and uh, my, my buddy didn't have a black belt to go with his suit. And he said, oh, I'll just grab one downstairs in the, uh, in the boutique. And if we walked down there, the cheapest belt was $600. <laughs> I 
<laughs> I said, man, I got you. I got you. Uh, Carhartt, $28 for an extra six. They'll be here within an hour. <laughs> um, so uh, Amazon Prime now. Anytime that I'm, anytime that I'm traveling, it's like, it's like having your own like concierge or butler. So I didn't realize this was a completely separate app. I thought it was a part of the regular Prime app. I did not realize it until you just said that. There we so, go, man. A great PSA because I'm thinking like, why? Can't, I, I hear all these people talking about getting their stuff within an hour or two, and it's not it's not showing up on my app. It's like, oh, maybe it's just not in my area. Let's yeah. get a damn app. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. You've got to have it. I mean, I, it happens all the time. Like when I'm traveling and I need like extra chargers and cases and you know that kind of stuff. Um, that's awesome. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. That makes that makes my day. All right. Well, the the my tip of the week is text expander. I know that Ryan McKean had mentioned this a long time ago to me. I didn't look into it. And then he mentioned it in the guild the other day. And it's just a really easy way of typing in short amounts of uh, text and then getting it, giving you whatever information you need. Like you can like, for example, let's say you need to write your address. Cause like if David's like, Hey man, come on over. And I'm like, Hey David, what's your address? He can type in like a few letters and it type and it freaking just puts his entire address in there. It's, it's fantastic. So um, text expander, it's an app. Um, there's also, I think an online version too. Um, but I highly, highly recommend it. David, thanks so much for coming on, man. We're, I really appreciate you, you sharing your story. I know it's, I, I don't know. I mean, you, it, it's not always easy for people to share their stories like you did. It seems like you're you're pretty comfortable with it, but th- thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, gents. See you, bye. bye, guys. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.